Good morning, Embrace. Good morning, Embrace. I got one good morning. Thank you, John. Good morning, Embrace. <laughs> uh, I am Tanya. I am one of the associate pastors here and just want to welcome you. If you are new today, consider this your welcome. We'll get around to talk to you in just a minute. Um, hi to everybody up in the balcony, too. Yeah. Uh, and also to our amazing friends online, I will be online in just a few moments to interact with you, but thank you for being with us. Just a few announcements before we get started and hand it over to the worship band. If you are new, we do have a connect card in front of you in the pew, so if you would fill that out, we would love to talk to you. Or if you have prayer requests, we have a dedicated prayer team that keeps all of your prayers confidential and will pray for you. Uh, and we love praying for you. So you can drop this uh, in the boxes in the back or over here on the side. And it says embrace on it with a cross. They're wooden boxes. You can also put your tithe and offering in there. So right back to the back there. And there's one over there. And of course, those that are online can give online. Also, as you came in, there should have been an announcement sheet. We have a lot of awesome things going on. So pick up an announcement sheet, find out what's happening, and we'll be glad to connect with you on those things. If you are not receiving our email, which also has these in it, we would love to connect with you there as well. So let me know, those of you online, when I get there uh, this morning, uh, if you will let me know if you want the, the email, we'll make sure that you get it. So welcome from Embrace, and I'm going to turn it over to the worship team. Thanks, Tanya. I invite you all to stand with us. Let's join in our call to worship this morning. Let's open our hearts and minds to what the Lord has for us. O Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you. As the day rises to meet the sun, glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Every season of the soul. If we could see how much you're worth, your power, your might, your endless love, then really we would never cease to praise. Let everything that, everything that, everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that. Everything that, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Let everything that, let everything that, let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Let everything that, let everything that, let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. 
praise you in the heavens, joining with the angels. Praise you forever and a day. Praise you on the earth now, joining with creation, calling all the nations to your praise. If we could see how much you're worth, your power, your might, your endless love, then surely we would never cease to praise. Lift up a joyful noise. Let everything that, let everything that, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that, let everything that, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that, let everything that, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that, let everything that, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Everything that, let everything that, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that, let everything that, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We know nothing is able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Let us in freedom confess the wrong we have done. Merciful God, we confess we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're going to enter into our gratitude and lament time. So I invite you to uh, turn to a neighbor and uh, introduce yourself and maybe share something from, from your life. It could be something positive from the week. It could be something uh, that maybe you're struggling with or that you see that's wrong with the world. But just uh, share something with a neighbor and we'll uh, enter into some more worship in a little bit.
expect nothing less. All right, I invite you to stand with us. Let's continue our worship time together. We are still in the Easter tide season. So I invite you to stand with us and uh, let's celebrate Jesus is risen this morning. Come on and celebrate. 
the resurrection of our Lord. And He is risen. He is risen. And He lives forevermore. He is risen. He is risen. Come on and celebrate. The resurrection of our Lord. And come on and celebrate. 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 The resurrection of our Lord. your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only So we pour out our praise. 
give a clap of praise this morning. (laughs) Amen. Well, today is the second week of having three Wonder Room classrooms. We were super excited to get that started last week, and you can go ahead and sit down for the moment. Um, But just a reminder for those of you who are going to send your kids to the Wonder Room, Pre-K through second grade is still upstairs, but third through fifth grade is now downstairs in the room next to the nursery. So that's where you will find your kids when you go to pick them up later. If you are here for the first time today and you have a child who is four years old through fifth grade, they are welcome to come join in the Wonder Room. We just ask that you would walk them upstairs and make sure the appropriate paperwork is filled out. But I will go ahead and dismiss all of our children and their leaders. Let's give them a hand.
All right, as they prepare to head on to their classrooms, I'm gonna invite Leandra Paget to come up. She um, made an announcement for us last week and is going to remind us about that again today. Good morning, um, I'm Leandra Paget Thompson. My announcement's going to be very similar to what I um, mentioned last week. Thank you to everyone that completed the congregational survey. There have been a lot of um, respondents so far, and we have one more week to make sure that your response is in. So please um, look at the link that's on the emails that went out this morning, the email announcements. If you don't have access to that, then Pastor Christina's email is in your paper uh, announcement sheet, and you can request one. We also have a few paper copies if you would prefer that format. So what is it, you may ask? Well, the, for, um, the survey is a tool for gathering congregational input regarding um, our church's discernment process regarding um, LGBTQ plus care and inclusion. This is something we've had a couple of congregational meetings about recently, and you've heard announcements over the past couple of years, really, about this process. Um, the more people that complete the survey, the more um, full our picture is going to be of of the congregation's pulse and um, feelings and questions about these issues. Uh, this is open, I should say, to anyone that participates in our congregation. You need not be an official member to complete this as long as you're active here in our church. And um, if you have any further questions about it, please ask one of the lead team members or one of the pastors. Thank you. Thank you, Tanya, for filling the awkward silence as I walk to the front. <laughs> Greatly appreciate that. Well, good morning. My name is John, and I am the lead pastor here at the church, and I'm glad to be back. I was just away for a week on short vacation with my wife, and we had a wonderful time out west. Uh, we went to southern Utah and Nevada, and even were in California for a day, and so we were really excited just to see so many beautiful things, did lots and lots of hiking, and I uh, just really enjoyed being out in God's creation. I was reminded while I was out there that, like, I really need to be intentional to get outside the city and just get out um, in the woods, in the mountains on a regular basis. Because when I do, um, I'm just reminded of how, how big God really is. And, and it's really easy for me when I'm in the midst of something hard or going through a difficult time to just, my focus narrows in so much on a particular problem or issue or how overwhelmed I am, and, and I lose track of kind of the bigger picture. And, and when I get out um, in, in God's creation, I, I see so many beautiful things that don't seem to be um, as, as tainted by all the, the human sin and awfulness that we inflict upon this world, right? And, and I'm just reminded of how beautiful and good God really is. And, and so it really helps me to step back and to see, see the bigger picture. Um, and, and another thing that does that for me is prayer. And, and so... Um, every week at church, we, we spend some time in prayer together, and so I'm going to kneel here at the altar, and if anyone would like to come forward, I'm going to kneel at the altar uh, with me. You're welcome to do that. You can also pray in your seats, but we're, we'll just take some moments uh, of silence, and then after that, I'll say a prayer for us, and then we'll close by saying the Lord's Prayer together, and those words will be on the screen when we get to that point. And so if anybody would like to join me at the front uh, to kneel at the altar, you're welcome to. You can come forward now.
like I say each week as we begin our time of silence and reflection, I, I just encourage you all to focus on your breath. Breathe in, breathe out. Be reminded of God's spirit. breathing life into us each and every moment of the day. Almighty God, wonderful creator, sustainer of all life, our refuge, our strength, our help when we are in trouble, our joy, our salvation, our redeemer. Our friend, we come to you this morning and we are so, so grateful that you are so many things to us. In reality, you are everything to us. That all of life, all of our existence is wrapped up in you. And God, we confess to you that so often we get so overwhelmed and burdened by the challenges and the busyness and the stresses and the anxieties and the fears that we lose track of, of you and we fail to find you in the day-to-day. -day. We fail to find you in the moments uh, throughout our lives. And God, I thank you for those opportunities when we can reset and refocus, and reconnect. I thank you that you can meet us in our loneliness, that you can meet us in our grief and our pain, that you can invite us even into a, a more joyful life, a more whole life, a more integrated life. And God, I pray that we would, all of us, hear that invitation this morning through prayer, through song, through communion, through 
the sermon, through all the things, Lord, through one another, that we would hear that invitation to find life and to find life to its fullest this morning. Lord, we need you so much. This life is too hard to live on our own. There is too much struggle. There is too much hurt. There is too much violence. There is too much loss. Too much sickness. Too much pain. And Lord, we, we need, we need help. And God, we are grateful that you are our help. And I pray that we could have more confidence in your help and your deliverance this morning. We pray you would hear our cries. Each and every one of us have brought different cries and laments with us this morning. And some of them are deep and painful and dark and, and difficult. And Lord, we bring those to you this morning. And we pray, Lord, that you would meet us in our time of need. And that we would leave here feeling more hopeful that we would leave here feeling more connected, that we would leave here feeling less lonely and less afraid and more courageous and more confident and more whole. Meet us here today in this time together. Speak a word of life and goodness to us as we gather here. I also pray, Lord, that you would continue your work of unifying our church around a common mission and purpose to share your light and goodness in our community. That you would unite us, Lord, around your love and your care. That you would unite us around a commitment to radical love. Help us, Lord, to know one another, to listen to one another, to encourage one another, and to show grace to one another as we walk this journey of life together. We need you and we need each other. Lord, we are so, so grateful this morning that you have put breath in our lungs, that you have filled us up, and that you are there for us. And now we join together and pray this prayer that Jesus taught us, his disciples, to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Christina. She is going to share a uh, our second uh, message this morning from the book of First Peter, I believe. Uh, I think we, I wasn't here last week, but I think it was great from what I hear that Dr. Reese did a good job. Christina is probably going to refresh your memory a little bit about what she shared. So I'm going to turn it over to Christina. Thank you. Yes, it is First Peter. Um, so last week, we had the privilege of being introduced to the book of First Peter by Dr. Ruth Ann Reese, one of my personal favorite seminary professors. Hope you guys enjoyed her being with us as well. She joined us again on Monday night, which means I had the gift of hearing her words twice. And one of the things that really stuck out to me was just how appropriate this book is for our current season of Eastertide. So I said last week, and I'll say again, that Eastertide is a continuing celebration of the resurrection of Jesus and the fact that it changes everything. 
right? We are in a season now where we are digging deep roots into the hope and the joy of the reality that God is making all things new, starting with Jesus and even reaching to our daily lives. And in fact, that's what this book is about. At its heart, this book is Peter's practical but also theologically sound guide to what being made new lives look like every day if we really embrace our true identity. So to help us dive into today's passage, I want to first bring back before us three big takeaways from what Dr. Reese shared last week. She kind of opened the whole book, and so we're just going to review that together today. First, this book is written to exiles, or the language the book uses is resident aliens. Kind of cool, you know, a little trendy there. It's written to people who don't belong, right? So exiles, slaves, women without believing husbands, that one might be a little weirder to us, but think about the fact that those women likely have even less influence than other women since they don't agree with the head of their household. So all of these groups have been seen as the least in their society. Second, even though all of those people have received labels and identity from their culture, their true identity is now as a member of the family of God. Together, as the community of the church, they have been chosen, and they belong with God and with one another. And third, as members of the family of God, they have also been gifted an imperishable inheritance. And that's a phrase that just means it's not going to rot or decay, and nothing can destroy or devalue that inheritance. Instead, it's kept in the presence of God. And Peter's not really detailed about what it is, but I think that we can assume, and from what Dr. Reese said last week, that that inheritance is the enduring promise we have of delight and well-being and deep communion with God and one another in the fullness of the kingdom of God. So even though we're going to have a mixed bag of emotions and experiences in this life, joy and suffering, gratitude and grief, trial and triumph. Our inheritance is sure and safe. We have it in part, and it's coming to us in full. Okay, so we're going to review that real quick on a slide. The big three things were taken away. The book is written to an audience of the least who don't belong. A reminder of the true identity given in Jesus, member of the family of God. And these people have received an imperishable inheritance. Everything else in the book assumes and builds upon these ideas. In fact, in our passage for this week, Peter doesn't move on from these ideas. And so we're not going to move past them too quickly either. He uses language that reinforces these foundational ideas. And he gives us more. He gives us practical instruction today. But he wants us to take that practical instruction in light of what he believes are the big truths about our new identity and our new reality. So let's listen to our passage for today. This time I've highlighted some of that familiar language of those main points, just so we can see that it pops back up. This is 1 Peter 1, 17 through 23. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, 
who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. The word of God for the people of God. In the very first verse, we bump back into familial language. Peter is reminding us that God is our family. He is our father. And he wants everything else we hear from him in this passage to be connected to that reality. So also what's important besides identity to Peter, it's inheritance. Both of those I words are really important in everything Peter has to say. And so 17, right off the bat, covers that identity piece. We belong to a father. And then verse 18 and verse 23 start talking about perishable and imperishable things. And that's supposed to remind us of our imperishable inheritance. Especially verse 18, which says that we have been liberated from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. That handed down to you from your ancestors, that's inheritance language right there, isn't it? So he's comparing right off the bat the normal earthly inheritance with the imperishable inheritance we've received. And verse 23 at the end of the passage also says in some of the most theological terms that we have this imperishable new inheritance because of Jesus, because of the new life he's given us through his new life. And so those are the pieces that Peter wants us to really understand along with the practical direction he gives. And we're really meant to understand this new life as a totally new reality. Scholars want us to know that when Peter says way of life, he's referring to cultural values and practices and norms, the whole kit and caboodle of how we understand and process our life in our cultural context. And the reality is he's calling that empty. The version we get from culture, he's, you know, that's a strong word. Empty is what he's calling that. Because when we're born into this new life in the kingdom of God, we get a whole new set of those things. Now it's the values and norms and practices of our Father's kingdom that is meant to really shape the way that we live our lives. Many of us have experienced a transition from one way to another way, even if on a small scale. Maybe you've changed jobs in the past. And maybe you transitioned into a new employment environment where the norms and the values were totally different than what you experienced before. You have to adapt and, and learn what it looks like to have a new daily routine so that you can be successful in your new role. Sometimes we also have moved cities or states or schools. And again, the values and norms and the expectations of how we're going to do things are different. When I went to Asbury University for college, our orientation right off the bat, first day, included that we were going to sit down on the floor of our residence hall and listen to our residence director present the community standards. That is the official language. And so those community standards, I have some other Asbury heads in the room nodding. You know exactly what I'm talking about. At the time I started, I don't think this is necessarily still the same, included that we were to dress with intention for class and chapel so that shorts, sweats, and pajamas were not allowed in either of those environments. That's one of the silly ones, right? But there were conduct expectations for on and off campus. They had lots to say about what it looked like to be an Asbarian. And regardless of where we came from or the way that we lived, 
we were invited from day one to get on board with the Asbarian way of life. The norms and the values of the school were meant to shape what we did every day. And in a similar way, the values of the kingdom of God are meant to shape our boots-on-the-ground, everyday way of living. The values of our culture are ultimately perishable, and they often even lead to perishing. But the values of the kingdom way are imperishable. They lead us to a way of life that really is full, like God intends. One of the fading cultural values Peter calls out is wealth. Hence, he refers to silver and gold being perishable. You don't normally think about silver and gold as things that, like, you know, die and and go away. But in his comparison, he's saying these are the empty things. These are the things that perish. They're not the things of God. And as appropriate as his reference probably was to the original context, maybe it's even more important for us to hear in our capitalistic culture that profit and production are not the values that define us. So instead, what is the way? What are the values of the kingdom of God? That's a really big question meant to shape the way we live our everyday life. And the story of Jesus' life as told in the Gospels does a really good job painting the picture, answering that question for us. The letters in the New Testament and their ethical teaching are all also trying to answer that question. And Peter, too, takes a stab at answering that question in his letter, the one that we're reading together over the next few weeks. He provides us with two really simple, very direct statements of ethical guidance. So I'm going to have the passage thrown up there again. We won't read the whole thing again. But I'm just wanting you to see the practical instructions highlighted in the passage. It's not a lot of the passage, right? Pretty simple, straightforward little sound bites. The rest of that is theological explanation and justification, which as I read it out, I hope you heard it was beautiful, talking about Jesus' life and all that it means for us. But the implications that it has for how we live, pretty short, simple. Those two directions are live out your time as foreigners in reverent fear and love one another deeply. Interesting to note is the fact that Peter's practical guidance is just that. It's guidance. It's pretty general. Unlike my experience with the Asbury way, where I was given a very specific list of things that did and did not conform to the values, Peter gives us very general instructions. And in a teaching that Dr. Reese has published on 1 Peter, she shares the conviction that he does that. He gives general information because, get this, he's trusting the audience to receive these wisdom principles and use discernment to apply them. What will it look like to live in reverent fear and to love? Do you think it looks the same in every situation ever? No, probably not. That's where discernment comes in. So Peter is trusting that these members of God's family who have been filled up with God's life and his own spirit, he's trusting that they can grow in discernment in real time as they work on these instructions together. And Dr. Reese's statement about Peter's intention for his audience actually jives pretty well with how we've come to understand the role of scripture at Embrace. Scripture is not just a rule book as many of us grew up thinking or fearing was the case. In fact, scripture often does not give us nitty-gritty detail about everything we would ever need to know. Instead, scripture gives us wisdom, wisdom principles, 
that we then, as we grow in God and as we grow and are transformed, we learn to discern and apply in cooperation with his spirit. But here's the kicker. With this trust that Peter is putting in the community, this sounds great. It's very honoring. But we have to remember that Peter is writing to the community as a whole. Peter gives them general instruction and trusts them to discern and work it out together. See, there is not a single one of us that is meant to figure out what the way of Jesus looks like on our own. But discernment happens in community. We learn to hear the voice of the Spirit and to know that it's actually the voice of the Spirit and not the voice of what we want when we talk about it together. And we learn discernment when we are willing to humble ourselves, hear each other, and offer and receive accountability. That's how we grow in discernment and how we apply wisdom principles. You know, I've often heard people say things like, I don't need to go to church to worship Jesus. And that's true. We can worship anywhere and everywhere. But that does not make the church irrelevant. We come together to worship regularly, not just because we're worshiping, but because this is a way for us to gather together and to meet with one another and to be committed to a journey of discipleship that really is defined by the fact that we are family. See, we can't live into our truest identity, member of the family of God, if we're cut off from the family. I will be the first one to tell you, if you've spent much time talking to me, you will know I am all about making the choice that is healthy, healing as you need to heal. So I believe it is really true that there are some seasons where we need to take a step back. Some of us need some breathing space. We might have been in a really dysfunctional expression of the family. We might be overwhelmed, we might be bruised and wounded, and we might just need to take a step back. But I also want you to know, as valid as that is, no one is meant to stay that way, isolated and cut off from the family. We are our truest selves together. We are our wisest selves together. So Peter gives general instruction to his audience, trusting them to apply it, because for him, together is a given. That means when we preach wisdom principles from the front, it's only the beginning of the conversation. Sunday morning gathering here to worship is only the beginning of the work that we do together to grow in everything God has for us. We're meant to continue talking about these wisdom principles, working them out in action, trial and error, growing pains and all, and getting better at it over time as we give each other grace, forgive one another, hold each other accountable. Today's wisdom principles, there's two of them in this specific passage, and we get to work on them together. They're simple, but they're profound. So a little bit more study can't hurt us in our ongoing work of discernment. After all, is anyone curious what it even means to live in reverent fear? It's kind of a weird phrase, a little bit clunky, doesn't show up in your daily vocab, I'm guessing. Well, to understand what we are being called to do here, We've got theological justification alongside that principle. So let's look at the sentence in full. Peter says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Since is a really good clue word that we're being given a reason. So it, that's how we're supposed to understand, right? Since. And we are being told 
again, the familial language, we come back to it, God our Father, we're being told that our conduct of reverent fear is directly related to the character of our God who judges impartially. He's basically setting up a little equation here. Because X is true of your father, Y must be true of you. Well, when we look at this verse in context of the whole first chapter, we see a pretty major connection between God's character and our conduct has already been established. So that's verse 17, right? In verses 15 and 16, right before this one, we hear this. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. According to Dr. Reese, these two verses offer the thesis statement, means like the big point of the whole book of 1 Peter. Your father is holy, so you should also be holy. Be like your father. In other words, what it looks like for members of the family of God to live into their new identity is to look more and more like God. It's a relatively simple concept, but in the way that we live it out, This is actually a pretty sticky idea. Holiness is one of those words that can be kind of problematic to some of us. Depending on your tradition of origin, holiness might come with some baggage. Some of us have learned to attach to holiness ideas like works-based righteousness and legalism. We've been taught that holiness is doing certain things and not doing, usually a very specific list of other things. Is that holiness? Is that what Peter means? Or is it possible that verse 17, the very next verse, gives us some more insight into what holiness really is? It says, we call on a father who is holy. And verse 17 says, that holy father judges all people impartially. Peter wants us to know our father doesn't play favorites. He doesn't prefer people based on their power or their status or their relationship to anyone or anything else. He holds them accountable based simply on what they choose. In the patronage system of the ancient Greco-Roman world in which this audience lives, preferring people because of their power and their status is literally the basis of the entire socioeconomic order. Like, that's how life works. But this is the way of life that Peter is calling empty. God's way is different. God does not prefer the powerful. God does not care about people's social status or honor, but God judges all people impartially. Does it sound a little bit to you like maybe a central aspect of God's character is justice? Is it possible that while many of us have been told that holiness is some sort of righteousness lived out in perfect performance, it's actually more closely tied to just action and an equal valuing of all people. Be holy as I am holy. Be just as I am just. Be like your father. In one sense, because of its surrounding context, we could read the verse and say, okay, our conduct needs to look exactly like God. But the equation changes a little bit, right? It's not X, so X. It's X, so Y. And we're being told not only should our conduct look like God's, but there's a further statement here. We're also to live in reverent fear. And I just want to say I think that phrase is a caution. It's a warning for these people 
who know now that they are chosen, to not think that that chosenness as God's family gives them preference or favoritism or even a pass, right? I think he's wanting them to know that they can't have actions or heart postures that devalue other people and expect to get away with it just because they, like, belong to God, right? They don't have any favoritism or preference in that way. Instead, because God is their father, since God is their father, they should live in reverent fear or with an expectation that God is going to hold them to account to be and look and act like him. So the wisdom principle Peter offers us then is that we are to take seriously our new identity as members of the family of God. And it places implications on our conduct. We belong to God. So we are to act and look and be more and more like our good and just God. I can't help but be reminded of Micah 6, 8 here. And to see an incredible connection between what God calls his people to in the Old Testament and what he's now calling his church to in the New Testament. I love to see the whole scriptural story connect. And it does. Do you guys remember that verse? Let's throw it up here. It says, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In all the theology Peter offers as reasoning in this passage, I believe he's trying to help them to see and love the mercy that they have been given. This new identity, this imperishable inheritance, it's gift, not by their own efforts. In no way have they earned it. It is a gift of God's mercy through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in light of that mercy, he calls them to act justly, just like their father does. And then that statement about reverent fear, that's really humility, isn't it? So he's calling them to love the mercy they've been given, to act justly because of it, and then live humbly in reverent fear that their calling and their actions really do matter. The whole biblical witness agrees. That's good news, y'all. Maybe this new way is actually kind of an ancient calling that we get to participate in. There's one more directive for us, and it comes close to the end of the passage. And yet again, it sounds a lot like what we find in the rest of Scripture. We hear, love one another deeply from the heart. That's verse 22. And again, that instruction comes after a little bit of introductory theological reasoning. Last time, the theological reasoning was supposed to give us a little bit of caution. This time, I think the role is encouragement. We're meant to be encouraged. So let's hear the whole of verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, Love one another deeply from the heart. Peter's encouragement and good news connected to the command to love each other is that his audience already has the love they need. It's already there. He is writing to them not only trusting that they're working it out together, that they will work it out together, but trusting that their journey of discipleship is already in progress. They're already asking what it looks like to be like God. They're already working it out. They're already trying to do the things that Jesus did, right? How many times have you heard a sermon that assumes you're starting at square one every day that you wake up? Like you've never made any progress. You've just got this list of to-dos. It's a burden you've got to put on yourself. Maybe someday you'll figure some of it out. That is not Peter's sermon, and that's not this one, to be honest. We don't start at square one every day. We're a work in progress. We've already started this journey. 
And Peter says, because that is true, because this community has already been obeying the call to look and be and act more like their father, they're being transformed. It's happening. And what is the fruit of that transformation? None other than sincere love. So it's from that wellspring that's just bubbling up within them as a natural consequence of them trying to live the new way. It's from that source that they are to love one another deeply as family. And friends, we are also to love one another. And the good news is we have the love we need. We're not starting at square one. We're not trying to make ourselves love each other. As we walk in obedience, we are being transformed. We might want to ask, though, what does loving deeply look like, right? Practically, how do you live that out? Well, Peter doesn't give us a list, at least not here. He offers some suggestions later, and we'll get to those at some point. But again, the whole New Testament witness offers us some really great ideas. As food for our discernment and conversations, we can hear from several other parts of the New Testament. Loving each other deeply looks like honoring one another above ourselves. That's Romans. Forgiving each other and seeking forgiveness when we are wrong. Ephesians. Carrying one another's burdens. Sitting with one another in grief. Galatians. Sharing and redistributing resources. That's Acts 2. And persevering together and for each other in prayer. Ephesians. I could go on. It's a really big theme in the New Testament. But over and over again, loving one another deeply looks like sacrifice and solidarity and celebration. It's good, too. It's enjoyable also. And it's commitment to the ongoing work of showing up and being family. It's a beautiful mess sometimes, but we are meant to be family, especially in light of our differences. There are countless examples in Scripture of ways that we can love one another. Discern together which way you need for which moment. That's Peter's message to the congregation. Work it out together. After all, who are we? Chosen and beloved members of the family of God. What is our calling? To be and act and look like our good, just, loving God. It's a serious calling. One Peter tells us to take seriously. But we are also to be encouraged. Even when that feels like a heavy calling, even when it's difficult, even when it steps on our toes and we're uncomfortable, we're to be encouraged because we don't walk the new way alone. We walk it with one another and with our Father. And as we obey this command, as we try to follow Jesus and show up and learn how to be family and learn how to look more like God, we are being transformed and poured into our hearts from the abundant, boundless supply of our Father is the love we need to love one another deeply, just as he loves us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. We're going to share communion this morning, like we do every week at Embrace, and it's such a beautiful time to reflect on God's great love for us. I heard someone interpret that 
passage about loving one another deeply is loving with every muscle strained. And it's this idea that, like, it's intentional. It's like we're loving with everything in us, and, and it takes effort. It takes work. But um, and, and Jesus is ultimately the example of what true love looks like. It's gritty. It, it requires something from us, right? But it's, ul- it's ultimately transformative and beautiful. I'm going to pray for us, and then in just a moment, I'll invite you all to come up um, and share communion. But let's bow our heads. Lord, we come to you today uh, humbly uh, before you, asking for you to meet us here in this moment. We come to you today, Lord, desiring holiness, desiring to be more like you, desiring to have your eyes and to, to borrow your hands and feet and be like you here in this world in which we live. We come to you today just desiring that you would fill us up, that you would consume our hearts, that we would leave here with, with hearts that are on fire for you, Lord. And We know that we can't generate that on our own. We need you to do a work in us. And you've already been working in us I trust that you are, even when we maybe can't feel it this morning, that you're working within us now, and you have been in the days and weeks and months and years leading up to this moment right now. We ask that you would continue that work in us as we share communion, that sharing this bread and juice together in community would bring us closer to one another and to you. that we would be able to grow more in our, our love and, and our reverent fear of you, Lord, that, that desire to worship you and, and, and be in connection with you. We pray you would meet us here in this moment, that we would experience your all-encompassing love that that led you to do so much, that led you to come and and, and be born into this world and and walk among us, even as you faced rejection, to, to teach and to stand and show us the way, not just by your words, but by your example, that you thought enough of us to do that. Even when, even when humanity did not listen to you sometimes, even when you were rejected and, and, and downright called a liar, Lord, you continue to share truth and love with us. And ultimately, you were willing, Lord, to, to go through the unthinkable suffering and pain of, and the injustice of being a, wrongfully arrested and, and gone through an unjust trial and sentenced to execution on the cross by crucifixion. And it was love, Lord, that drove all that. And we are so grateful for that, Lord. And I pray that this morning we could experience that in, in some way as we share communion together. And that you would help us, Lord, to have that wisdom to discern how, how we practice that, that love, that same kind of love. 
I know we're, we're not quite there yet to loving in the way that you loved us, but Lord, we're on that journey and we continue to reach, Lord. Pray, Lord, that this morning we could have that wisdom to discern how to do that here in our current moment, in our community here, at our church. Lord, I pray you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon this bread and juice, that it would be for us the body and blood of Christ, that you would fill us up this morning in a fresh way, and we would leave here changed because we've encountered you, the living God. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said together, I'm going to invite those who are helping me serve communion to come on up. I invite you all to use the hand sanitizer as you come forward. We share communion here at Embrace by coming forward, and I'll ask you to have your hands open as you come forward. First, you encourage you all to use the hand sanitizer as you come forward. Um, your server will rip off a piece of bread for you, and they will actually dip it for you as well and then place it in your hand. Then you can uh, eat it. You're welcome to kneel at the altar and pray if you would like. There's Kleenexes on each side if you need that uh, to clean up after you're done. Um, if you would um, like to share communion this morning, you're, you're invited. You don't have to be a part of our church. You don't have to be a member here. You don't have to have it all figured out because if that was the case, none of us could share communion. Uh, we practice an open table here where everybody's invited um, because that's the way Jesus lived his life. When there were meals, he always invited everybody to come. And, and it was a ragtag group of people. So you're welcome at the table, no matter who you are, if you want to know God more. And this is a way you just can encounter Jesus in a fresh way through sharing this uh, bread and juice with us this morning. If you're at home, uh, feel free to use whatever you have set aside for this purpose and know that God's Spirit is working and moving through that um, wherever you're at this morning. So I'm just going to prepare a couple of things, and I'll invite you to come up in just a moment. God Almighty reigns. Hallelujah. Holy, holy, now you Lord God. Worthy is the Lamb, 
Thank you all so much for being here today. Um, I hope that, that God spoke to you in some way and that you don't just let it go, that you take whatever God's done in your heart with you today, wrestle with it, talk to other folks about it because we grow in wisdom together in community and, and really ask God how you might live out the things that God was doing in your heart uh, this morning. So if you are, prepare your hearts for the benediction. May the love of God the Father the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen. Go in God's peace. We'll see you next time.